0: Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at
1: comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello,
0: this is Chip Yorkitis, a partner in the communications group of Kelly Dry and Warren. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Mike Dover and Hank Kelly. We're going to give you an overview of the commission's actions at its May 18th open meeting. And uh, I'm going to get right into it. Uh, the opening item of the FCC's meeting today resolved a two-year-old rulemaking involving unlicensed operations in the 57 to 71 gigahertz band, also referred to as the 60 gigahertz band. This proceeding demonstrates the power of industry consensus to arrive at a compromise solution in a technical rulemaking docket and so move the conclusion of such a proceeding forward. This helps to carry the commission's burden tremendously. And this was very clear in the commissioner's comments uh, before their vote on this item. So in docket 21264, the commission proposed to liberalize the rules governing field disturbance sensors, including radars operating in the 60 gigahertz band, principally by allowing operation at higher powers and in a broader variety of settings than the current rules allow. Because of the limitations in the current rules in 2018 to 2021, literally up through the commencement of the rulemaking, the commission granted more than a half dozen waivers to manufacturers allowing operation at higher powers, uh, although limited to certain conditions and typically to certain settings such as in-cabin vehicular settings requiring professional installation in the case of a number of the waivers. Following the release of the NPRM in early 2021, commenters formed what can be characterized as two opposing camps. Now the rulemaking proposed only to adopt rules pertaining to radar devices and not other unlicensed devices operating in the bands. In the comments, the radar manufacturers generally argued for higher average powers and higher duty cycles, many up to 100%, because they believed this would allow a wider variety of applications in a broader range of settings that needed these uh, additional operating parameters. Uh, to achieve the ranging, velocity, and resolution performance that certain applications require and couldn't be achieved with the existing rules. But on the other side of the comments, there were proponents of unlicensed communications applications, oftentimes called the the YGIG uh, proponents, and they were concerned that radars operating under more relaxed rules would interfere with planned augmented reality, virtual reality, and other extended reality applications. In fact, as recently as last August, more than a year after the adoption of the NPRM, the two camps were loggerheads with each other. A number of members of the radar group offered in August uh, in the commission's record, what they styled as a compromise proposal, but the YGIG proponents rejected it out of hand in a follow-up ex parte without offering a counter. In the ensuing months, however, uh, in a period where there was much less ex parte lobbying activity, representatives of the two groups met and they produced a compromise, which was filed with the FCC at the end of February, designed to resolve the entire proceeding. The report and order termed this the industry consensus agreement, and it forms the core of what the commission did today. I should note that the industry consensus agreement did not uh, cover uh, Pulsed Radar technology. The chief proponent of Pulsed Radar Systems, the company Akoneer, actually filed a joint letter with the leading YGIG proponents with a compromise solution for Pulsed Radar technology last November. But this compromise was narrow and it didn't resolve the matter for other radar technologies that could utilize the 60 gigahertz band such as frequency modulated continuous wave or FMCW radar systems. Under the current rules for field disturbance sensors or radars set forth in section 15.255, unlicensed radar devices are allowed in fixed applications and only when operating on, uh, under uh, short range interactive motion sensor applications are they permitted on a mobile basis absent a waiver wanting to move beyond a case by case waiver process, which I mentioned earlier was the regime between 2018 and 2021. It's a cumbersome and slow moving process. The commission proposed a set of rules that would largely allow for higher powers uniformly across the 57 to 64 gigahertz subband. The industry consensus agreement that was filed in February deviated from that uniform across the band approach and proposed a segmented regulatory framework where across different sub ranges within the 57 to 64 gigahertz uh, frequencies, different power limits, use case restrictions, if any, and duty cycles, if any, would apply. The goal was to promote different categories of applications that might require different power levels, different levels of spectrum utilization, while promoting a balanced coexistence with YGIG applications. The Commission, after the industry consensus agreement was filed less than 90 days ago, quickly, once it received that agreement, moved forward to a report and order, adopting the agreement in all principal respects. The report and order also adopts technical rules for devices operating as pulsed radars based on the joint filing that ACNEAR made with the YGIG proponents last November. The report and order eliminates most use case restrictions, allowing for fixed and mobile unlicensed radars under most sets of technical parameters that will be permitted under the modified rules. The report and order will also permit unlicensed radar applications for the first time in the 60 gigahertz band on drones, uh, those operating under 400 feet and limited to the 60 to 64 gigahertz range. Now, with regard to the devices that have been certified under the existing waivers, the report and order addressed this by permitting ongoing use of equipment Uh, that currently operates uh, under the waivers of the existing rules. It also provided for a transition period for certification of new devices under their existing waivers for a limited period after the report and order takes effect. So this rulemaking is now fully resolved. There's no further NPRM. And given the levels of participation in the industry consensus agreement and the submission and effective adoption of the joint proposal, regarding pulsed radars, everyone has reason to be happy. So now the real work can begin to design, develop, and produce the new field disturbance sensors and radar devices, taking advantage of the new rules which the Commission anticipates will yield a wide variety of benefits to users, industry, and business. Now I will turn to the other spectrum item on the agenda today concerning the 12.2 to 13.25 gigahertz range. The commission is treating this in two pieces and so will we. I will start with the commission's report and order and further notice of proposed rulemaking on the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band. And Mike will tackle a notice of proposed rulemaking and related order concerning the 12.7 to 13.25 gigahertz band. These are both bands in the seven to 16 gigahertz mid band spectrum range that Chairwoman Rosenworcel identified as a principal focus of the Commission's spectrum management activity in the near future. Regarding the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band, in a nutshell, the commission resolved the 2021 rulemaking by declining to authorize two way high powered terrestrial mobile service in the band. The FCC found that the introduction of such services in 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz would impose a significant risk of harmful interference to existing and emergent services in the band, uh, including uh, and particularly satellite services. Because such interference could undermine investments made by incumbent licensees and jeopardize their potential to provide new satellite services. Uh, and the commission was particularly mindful of the provision of those services to underserved communities, including rural communities, the commission opted to preserve and protect the incumbent services. But at the same time, the commission issued a further notice of proposed rulemaking, raising the prospect for expanded terrestrial fixed service in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band and the possible permission of unlicensed use in the band for the first time. To give a little more flavor on the commission's action, 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz uh, is today allocated on a primary basis for non-federal use by the Broadcast Satellite Service, which is referred to domestically as the Direct Broadcast Satellite Service or DBS, Uh, It's also allocated to the fixed satellite service uh, from the space to to earth direction limited to non-geostationary orbit systems or NGSO FSS. And then there's a third allocation to the terrestrial fixed service. The fixed service allocation is utilized by what the commission has called the multi-channel video and data distribution service or MVDDS. In 2016, a coalition of MVDDS licensees filed a petition for rulemaking with the FCC that requested certain reforms to the band, including permitting MVDDS licensees to use the band for two-way mobile broadband services. In 2017, uh, essentially contemporaneously with the MVDDS petition for rulemaking, The Commission granted the first of several next-generation NGSO FSS requests to operate in several spectrum bands, including 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz. The Commission conditioned the grants of the outcome on the resolution of the MVDDS petition. In response to that petition, in 2021, the Commission launched uh, the current rulemaking to consider changes to its rules to permit flexible use mobile services in the band but they intended to do so only if those mobile services could be introduced without causing harmful interference to incumbent licensees and if so whether such action would promote or hinder the delivery of next generation services in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band when issuing that rulemaking notice The commission took pains to state that it was mindful of the significant investments made by satellite operators and other incumbents, and they valued the public interest benefits benefits that could flow from such investments, particularly in rural and other underserved communities uh, that might be more expensive to serve through other technologies. So after addressing a record uh, in response to the rulemaking notice, the commission declined to make changes in the band. The band expressed a variety of viewpoints for and against introducing mobile services uh, in these frequencies on a coexistence basis with incumbents. There were debates in the record over the assumptions in competing studies examining whether such coexistence was even technically feasible. Ultimately, the commission concluded that a new ubiquitous 5G terrestrial mobile service would create a significant increase in the risk of harmful interference to both DBS and NGSO satellite services. And it found unpersuasive a study submitted by the 5G advocates because of unsupported assumptions that undermine the study's reliability. And also because the study had neither demonstrated that a new Mobile service in the band would be able to meet the equivalent power flux density limits required to protect DBS receivers in the band. Uh, And also because the study had not adequately addressed the issues raised both in the FCC's rulemaking notice and by opponents regarding the applicability of burden shifting protection obligations. In addition to the technical shortcomings, The FCC found that the mobile service proponents did not address the increased coordination and DBS mitigation burdens that would be placed on uh, the DBS licensees. And in particular, DirecTV, which is the one DBS licensee according to the commission that is also not an MVDDS licensee. And DirecTV has tens of millions of subscribers uh, that could be affected if the commission were to permit mobile operations in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band. Apart from the potential impact on DBS, the FCC also found that ubiquitous two-way mobile broadband service in 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz would likely create a significant risk of harmful interference to ubiquitous NGSO FSS operations. A a study submitted by the advocates for the new mobile allocation was flawed, the FCC concluded, because it rested on speculative assumptions that the mobile and NGSO operations would not be geographically near each other. The commission also noted that the MVDDS coalition in 2016, when it first petitioned the FCC, had proposed to demote the NGSO allocation to a lower priority or to delete it altogether because the MVDDS coalition believed that coexistence was not possible. Opponents of the new mobile allocation offered studies based on counter assumptions showing that coexistence was not possible. In the end, the FCC found that both sets of studies for and against the allocation effectively agreed on one critical point that NGSO FSS user terminals will suffer harmful interference if they are operating in close proximity to mobile transmissions in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band. And the commission found that such proximate operation could not be avoided given the nature of the proposed mobile and existing and emerging NGSO FSS services. FCC Commissioner Symington at the open meeting bemoaned the lack of studies based on real world deployments and noted in his statement at the meeting that the agency would have no business betting the store on unproven methods to ensure coexistence where interference threatened incumbents. Potentially significant aspect of the decision is that the FCC found that the burden should be on the new mobile entrants, not the incumbent DBS operators and subscribers to show how new incumbent services could be provided once mobile services had been deployed in the band. This raises the question going forward, whether the approach taken in this proceeding is a developing model in spectrum allocation decisions going forward about the relative burdens between new entrants and incumbents. The commission addressed as part of the report and order declining to adopt the mobile allocation several elements of the MVDDS licensing framework, uh, in particular build out requirements. In the accompanying notice of proposed rulemaking, or further notice of proposed rulemaking to be exact, uh, the Commission will explore whether to expand terrestrial fixed use of the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band in a number of ways. Several questions are asked, should the FCC allow licensed one-way point-to-point or point-to-multipoint fixed links at a higher power than the current rules permit? This would support links over greater distances. And what about two-way point-to-point operations permitted at higher powers? The Commission also seeks input uh, on, among other questions, whether to permit two-way point-to-multipoint links. In addition, the NPRM seeks input on the prospects for an expanded license framework based on a set of more lenient operating parameters for indoor use, uh, an indoor only underlay use of the band. In addition to a host of questions about expanded licensed use of the band by fixed service, the Commission also seeks input on the possibility of permitting for the first time unlicensed use of the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band and the sharing technologies that could make that happen. Drawing upon experiences and other analogous licensed unlicensed shared bands, including the six gigahertz band. Currently under the part 15 rules, the entire 10.6 to 12.7 gigahertz range is designated as restricted so as to protect incumbent licensed services in that frequency range. What this means is that unless expressly permitted by a rule or waiver, unlicensed devices may not intentionally radiate energy into these frequencies. This protects sensitive radio services from harmful interference. So as the threshold question in this further notice regarding unlicensed use, the commission asks whether and how unlicensed operations could operate in the band without causing interference to co-band DBS NGSO or fixed MVDDS licensed services. Although the commission will not at this time be adopting rules to introduce flexible use mobile services in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band, the commission took the next step in the second item on its agenda today in a related proceeding, moving from a 2022 notice of inquiry that explored whether flexible mobile use might be introduced into some or all of the 550 megahertz immediately above 12.7 gigahertz, and adopted a new rulemaking notice that proposes to do precisely that, and a related order designed to gather information regarding existing deployments and operations in the band. My colleague, Mike Dover, will now tell you a lot more about this other part of the second item. Mike?
1: Thanks, Chip. Yes, that's uh, that's right. The commission in the same document also adopted a notice of proposed rulemaking or NPRM seeking comments on proposals to expand the use, uh, to expand the current use of the 12.7 gigahertz band, which is uh, 12.7 to 13.25 gigahertz. As background, the 12.7 gigahertz band is currently allocated primarily for terrestrial non-federal use for fixed services, fixed satellite services, and mobile service with one federal use in the upper portion of the band at the 12.75 to 13.25 gigahertz range for NASA operations of a receive-only earth station for its interplanetary mission signals. In response to the submitted comments, in this NPRM, the commission states that very few parties have argued that the current ban should be left unchanged or untouched. And the commission states that it finds a significant number of commenters advocated for the ban to be used for exclusive fixed or mobile flexible high powered use. With these comments in mind, the Commission's 12.7 GHz NPRM concludes that the band appears well suited for mobile broadband or other expanded uses. The Commission proposes in the NPRM to repurpose some or all of the 12.7 GHz band for mobile broadband and other expanded uses and seeks comments on its proposals, which I'm about to detail for you. Uh, Further, based in part on comments noting that low powered operations would not provide sufficient coverage to spur industry investment. The Commission proposes to use exclusive geographic area based licenses for the band, noting that the propagation characteristics of the band will require operators to transmit at a relatively high power to achieve meaningful coverage and capacity. Uh, now, it's noteworthy that uh, these proposals by the Commission are over the um, objections of some satellite industry comment commenters that advocated for expanded satellite use in the band. However, in its NPRM, the Commission notes that uh, little satellite use currently occurs in the band but seeks comments on preserving incumbent satellite systems while ensuring against mobile and fixed system interference to incumbent satellite providers. To facilitate the transition of incumbent operations, the Commission proposes to use its Emerging Technologies Framework to relocate or repack incumbent terrestrial licenses. With its Emerging Technology Framework, The Commission sets a sunset date for terrestrial incumbents, after which licensees may not cause harmful interference to new new band entrants. Prior to the sunset date, new entrants are allowed to operate but must enter into mandatory negotiations with incumbents to gain early entry into the band. And as part of that process, if necessary, the new entrant may Pay for relocation of terrestrial and incumbents operations to comparable facilities. However, the Commission seeks comment on whether it should also apply or uh, instead apply a cost sharing model, uh, quote, so that all licensees that derive a benefit from a relocation action share the responsibility for the costs of that relocation, regardless of whether or not they are the first to deploy their system or deploy their systems after other licensees have already deployed and incurred spectrum clearing costs." End quote. Under the Emerging Technologies Framework, the commission proposes that after the first mobile broadband expanded use licenses issued in the band, incumbent point-to-point licensees in the band would become secondary operating on an unprotected non-interference basis to the new licensed operations. With respect to broadcast auxiliary service call signs and cable television relay service licenses currently operating in the band, uh, the commission states that because coordination among these incumbents and new mobile broadband and other expanded use operations may be in uh, feasible, because of temporary fixed links or mobile transmitters, uh, the commission proposes to repack mobile uh, broadband auxiliary services and cable television relay incumbents into a 25 megahertz segment within the 12.7 gigahertz band. With respect to fixed satellite service, the commission proposes to grandfather the 23 incumbent earth stations in the 12.7 gigahertz band that conform to standard earth to space operations, Uh, but the commission proposes that no additional earth stations would be authorized in that band. It also notes that non-conforming fixed satellite service operations would only be permitted to continue on a non-interference basis and would have no right to protection from harmful interference. With respect to how To identify incumbent operators for purposes of the transition, the Commission proposes to use current information on file reflected for each license and a determination of whether the facilities are operating as authorized and, um, in addition to the uh, NPRM um, on 12.7 bands, the Commission included an order. that requires a refresh on license information, stating that for each broadcast auxiliary service authorization uh, covering the 12.7 gigahertz band, uh, the commission directs fixed and mobile broadcast auxiliary service licensees under Part 74 to certify the accuracy of all information reflected on each license and include whether the facilities are operating as authorized and if the licensee is unable to make that certification for any given license the operator must cancel or modify the license and the order directs the wireless bureau to establish um, a date to be uh, a certification window to be announced through public notice Okay, in addition to the proposals um, I just described, the NPRM seeks comments on methodologies uh, such as sharing methodologies among incumbent and new entrances, uh, such as those used in other bands, such as CBRS devices um, in the 3.5 gigahertz band or. sharing methodologies used for white space devices um, or automated frequency control AFC um, use for unlicensed devices in the six gigahertz band. However, the commission notes that um, there are significant differences between the 12.7 gigahertz band and those bands because of the presence of uh, broadcast auxiliary services, cable relay services in the 12.7 band, but seeks comment on how to and whether to accommodate these additional sharing methodologies. Uh, In addition, the NPRM uh, details licensing and operation rules as proposals um, and seeks comments on them. I'll just uh, go through a couple of them, but um, would refer you to the NPRM, which details many more and in more detail so uh, the commission proposes licensing the S- spectrum license under the flexible use part 27 rules and as such the mobile broadband licenses in 12.7 gigahertz band would be subject to um, most of the uh, normal part 27 service rules including flexible use regulatory status foreign ownership reporting compliance with construction requirements, renewal criteria, permanent discontinuance of operation, partitioning, and spectrum leasing, to name a few. Um, In addition, some of the other proposals include setting block sizes at 100 megahertz, uh, proposing the use of partial economic areas for the licenses geographic basis, and setting 10-year license terms. This morning at its uh, open meeting, the commission unanimously adopted the um, NPRM and order I just described comments on the commission's 12.7 gigahertz band NPRM, as well as the commission's 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz uh, further uh, NPRM our will be due 30 days after it's published in the federal register with reply comments due 45 days after publication now i'll turn it over to hank kelly to cover the commission's action at the open meeting regarding efforts to mitigate robocalling
2: hank thanks mike as you mentioned uh, today the commission took another step in requiring carriers and non-carriers alike to rid their networks of suspected robocalls Today's order was particularly focused on non-carriers, what the commission refers to as the broad group of, quote, voice service providers, end quote. In our May 2022 podcast, we talked about the commission's, in in the commission's gateway provider order, uh, which included a number of requirements that were imposed on gateway providers to stem robocalls. Uh, Those requirements included call blocking, Registration by the gateway provider in the robocall mitigation database requiring gateway providers to create do not originate lists of phone numbers that they can't originate the calls from and the obligation to respond to traceback requests within 24 hours. In that order, the Commission also sought to comment on whether to impose those same requirements and so potentially other obligations on the broader class of voice service providers in the call path. Uh, Today's order is the culmination of that further notice of proposed rulemaking that the Commission entered back in May 2022, about a year ago. Now, before we talk about the requirements, I want to provide some definitions which are important in understanding some of the fine distinctions that the Commission has made among the class of providers that may touch a call. So back in May 2022, the Commission noted that gateway providers provide a point of entry for foreign originated traffic Um, that comes into the United States. Uh, More specifically, a gateway provider is defined as a U.S.-based intermediate provider that receives a call directly from a foreign originating provider or a foreign intermediate provider at its U.S.-based facilities uh, and then transmits that call downstream to another U.S. provider. Uh, The Commission's May 2022 obligations that I mentioned were imposed on those Gateway providers. Now, the commission's also uh, defined a voice, a quote, voice service provider to include any entity that originates, carries, or terminates voice calls through time division multiplexing, TM, voice over internet protocol, or wirelessly. Now, obviously, the term voice service provider is much broader than gateway provider, and this definition now includes basically any entity in the United States that touches a voice call. So as a result of the actions taken by the Commission today, every call will now be subject to some form of, of robocall mitigation. Every call within the United States will be some form of some robocall mitigation. Now, there are gonna be different obligations imposed on different providers, depending upon where, whether uh, they're an originating provider or an intermediate provider or a terminating provider. Uh, But still, there's robocall mitigation obligations on on every call as a result of today's release. So let's get to the details. Now, first, the Commission requires that all voice service providers respond to traceback requests from the FCC, from law enforcement, and from the industry traceback group within 24 hours. So voice service providers that have not previously been required to respond to traceback requests have an obligation now to develop internal procedures and processes to respond to those traceback requests within that time frame. It's a fairly short time frame; You've got to turn it over pretty quick. And the Commission's noted that they will take enforcement action against entities uh, that that are not responding timely to the traceback requests. I'll also note that in calculating the 24 hours, the Commission's do provide that the requests received outside of business hours, are deemed to received at 8 a.m. on the next business day. So if you get a trace, if an entity or voice service provider gets a traceback request at at 8 um, p.m., the 24-hour clock doesn't start until 8 a.m. on the next business day. Similarly, if the 24-hour period includes a weekend or holiday and kind of the, you know, carries over to the the next day, call uh, a traceback request, comes in at 3 p.m. on a Friday, go to the weekend, um, the 24-hour clock is told, pardon the pun, during that, that period of time in the weekend, and then continues to run and then starts back up again at 12.01 a.m. on the next business day. So this obligation becomes effective 30 days after the notice in the Federal Register. So it's important that carriers or voice service providers uh, know that this is going to happen pretty quick. So another obligation, second thing that the Commission did today was... Uh, provide that all originating service providers are required to block traffic that the commission has identified as illegal originated traffic. In addition, the voice service providers immediately downstream from a provider that has been named by the commission as illegally generating robocall traffic also now have an obligation to block that traffic. So the originating provider and the Immediate downstream provider both have obligations to block that traffic identified by the commission. Now, this obligation, uh, in and of itself, doesn't uh, require terminating and non-gateway intermediate providers to just block traffic. Now, they are rec- commit those those entities sort of the, the terminating and the non-gateway intermediate providers um, are required to respond to any commission inquiry, and certainly to provide accurate information to the commission regarding the source from which they receive calls that they've identified as as illegal robocalling, um, and and respond timely to those commission uh, inquiries. Now, the commission recognizes that not all carriers that are two or three hops away from an originating voice service provider that's been named by the commission as originating unlawful calls, while they're not able to identify all those calls, they still have an obligation to do what they can to mitigate that traffic. And again, this would include responding to uh, timely to any commission requests. Now, the commission notes in its order that the responding to a commission request for further information about robocalling is certainly a mechanism that they're going to do or use uh, to enforce compliance with the rules uh, and, and potentially impose fines, uh, which, which I'll talk about at the end of this podcast. Third obligation that the commission imposed today on all voice service providers is to now take steps to quote, know your customer. Uh, The commission imposed that obligation on uh, gateway providers back in May of 2022. And now every voice service provider has an obligation to ensure that the the immediate upstream entities to which it's interconnected is not processing high volumes of illegal traffic. Now, there's no hard rules or obligations or how you know instructions about how carriers are going to do this, which has pretty much left that up to each individual carrier to describe and identify the process, how they'll do this. But every service provider has to ha- now have an obli- a working process in place uh, about how they will take steps to know your customer. And they've got an obligation to include that in their RoboGault mitigation plan. In the second part of the Commission's order uh, today, the Commission issued a further notice of proposed rulemaking to investigate and receive comment on additional measures that the Commission can undertake to stem robocalls. Now, first, the Commission's proposing to require terminating providers to offer an analytics-based blocking of calls that it believes that the terminating provider believes are likely to be illegal and to provide those blocking services to their customers on an opt-out basis without charge. So carriers would be, terminating carriers specifically, would be required to adopt procedures, to identify through an analytical approach, potential mobile calls, and to block those calls at no charge to their customers, unless the customer opts out of that process. So the current commission's rules permit these call blocking services, uh, but don't require terminating carriers to actually do the blocking. Now, the types of analytics that, that might be included uh, to identify uh, robocalls would, would include, for example, if a terminating carrier identifies a large number of incoming calls with in large bursts um, in a short time frame. Or if there's a low completion ratio, uh, these calls may be subject to potential blocking on an, opt, on, an opt, on an opt-out basis. So those are the types of, of com- issues that the commission's Seeking further comment on on that proposal. Second, uh, the Commission for the second for the proposed rulemaking uh, the Commission's proposed to require all voice service providers to block calls using a do not originate list. Um, and, and and like many of the call blocking obligations that the Commission's imposed uh, these call blocking obligations come with a safe harbor for the carrier. Uh, you know, uh, to avoid potential liability for wrongfully blocking calls so long as they're taking steps in a reasonable way to satisfy the commission's orders. Now, the commission's already imposed these do not originate lists on gateway providers. And in the commission's March 2023 order, uh, also imposed this obligation on wireless providers. So we've talked before, we talked last, last, last month about this, um, these do not originate numbers include, for example, uh, numbers uh, for which a subscriber to the number, to who's been assigned the number, has requested that calls purporting to originate from that number be blocked, because those numbers assigned to that customer are only used for inbound calls. So if a robocaller is, is spoofing the number and, it's an out, and they use a number that's only for inbound calls, subscribers can uh, ask that those numbers uh, are, be blocked for, on outbound calls. Another example would be North American numbering plan uh, numbers that are just not valid. valid north numbering valid, North American numbering plan numbers, those types of numbers that those North American numbering plan numbers that are allocated to provider um, by the north but 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 are unused. So those are the types of calls that um, would be on a do not originate list. And the commission is looking for comment on whether they can impose those obligations on the broader class of voice service providers. And I would guess that since they've done it for gateway providers and wireless providers, they're gonna do the same thing with, with uh, all voice service providers. Um, third uh, inquiry is the, commit that's, uh, the commission uh, consistent with the trace to acts directive to provide uh, transparency to voice providers that have their calls blocked. The commission is seeking comment on which SIP code should be used by the terminating providers that actually block those calls to notify the originating providers and the originating callers that their calls have been blocked. Now, this is kind of a technical thing, not a big policy issue here, um, but the the commission has previously um, permitted carriers to use uh, other SIP codes that, that would be sent back to the originating providers and to the originating callers to notify those customers that the uh the call segment blocked um now they're, 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 the the industry has recently come out with a new new SIP code 603 that would be used to convey the message network blocked um and the commission is looking for a comment on whether that's the appropriate uh code to be used for for that transparency and then finally The the commission is proposing to authorize a base forfeiture of $11,000 for any voice service provider that fails to take affirmative measures to prevent new and renewing customers from using its network to originate illegal calls. And this would include uh, not actually knowing your customer and exercising due diligence and ensuring that the services are not being used to originate illegal traffic. So, so that's a pretty good summary of what the commission did today with robocall. Another big step forward in eliminating robocalls uh, within the United States, now providing robocall mitigation uh, on, on virtually every call that, that's originated, uh, whether it be foreign-originated foreign, foreign originated or originated within the United States. Um, I'll, I'll also note uh, that, uh, first of all, comments on the uh, further notice of proposed rulemaking are due. 30 days after publication in the Federal Register. Uh, So uh, thank you, Chip, and thank you, Mike. uh, That's a full summary of of sort of the Commission's actions today. Uh, Join us again next month. Uh, We'll go through the same thing and provide some commentary as quickly as we can on recent Commission actions. Thank you.
0: The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.